Welcome to another ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and what a week of tennis it's been with ATP 250 events in Bosnia and Herzegovina and Germany, and with the focus very much on the Barcelona Open Bank Sabadell at the famous Real Club de Tennis. With 12 titles, Rafael Nadal has dominated this ATP 500 in recent years, but in his absence through injury, another Spaniard, Carlos Alcaraz, is starting to create a modern history all of his own, claiming title number two in Barcelona in as many years and three for the season by beating Stefanos Tsitsipas in the final. It's perfection in Barcelona from Carlos Alcaraz. The 19-year-old defends his title. Tsitsipas simply was second best. It's his third title of the season. The first time in his career he is able to defend a title. Carlitos, that was outstanding. Many congratulations to defend the title here in Barcelona in front of your home crowd. What are the emotions? Well, uh, it's, it's incredible, you know, to uh, feel the, this energy, you know, to leave the trophy here in Barcelona uh, in front of uh, all my people, let's say, my family, my friends are here as well. Uh, most of the part of my team are here as well. So for me, uh, playing this level, uh, leave the trophy here in front of uh, all of them is, uh, is a great feeling for me. Incredible tennis from you today. Tell us a bit about how you beat Stefanos today. You seemed so relaxed, we're dancing along at times as well. Well, uh, honestly, this is uh, something that uh, we we were talking about with my team before before the match, you know, to stay relaxed, uh, to uh, want to play the, the 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 tough moment, you know, that's the the most important part, uh, the most important part for me, you know, to stay relaxed, you know, to uh, forget the, the the mistakes, forget the everything, and uh, just being being myself on on the court, uh, trying to not think. Uh, about the, the, the all the people who are watching, just me, the court, the racket, you know, and the and the final. Congratulations and enjoy the pool jump. Thank you very much. Thanks. Carlos Alcaraz with Ursin Caderas, who also spoke with the 19-year-old earlier in the tournament about his toughest moment en route to a first title last year. I would say the, the toughest moment when uh, was when when I was about to warm up before the. Uh, the semi-final on Sunday, that uh, it, sus- it was suspended, you know, the, the semi-final on, on Saturday, and uh, yeah, I was going down down the stairs, you know, and uh, I I I, fo- I fall down, you know, from 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 the stairs a little bit. I couldn't warm up. Uh, I couldn't finish the the, the warm up, you know, on court, and uh, it was it was a tough moment for me because I. Uh, I thought that uh, I was not able to to play the the semi-final and stuff and uh, get uh, get through get through that. It, it, it was tough for me. Were you in pain when you played the semi-final? Uh, no, because when you know that, that adrenaline when you are playing, you know you forget everything and, and stuff, and you are focused on on playing. And uh, of course, with my my doctor, with my physio, did uh, some stuff, you know, to uh, don't feel don't feel the pain. When you went back to the same stairs now this year, what were your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I am really, really careful. You know, when I, when I'm in, uh, on the stairs. <laughs> Carlos Alcaraz showing just why he is such a great champion already at the tender age of 19.
So it was third time unlucky for Stefanos Tsitsipas, who still hasn't been able to get over the line and beat a Spaniard in a Barcelona final. But the Greek star is still taking positives from two previous losses there to the great Rafael Nadal. The first time wasn't really fun, honestly. Uh, it was fun for the sake of saying, you know, I played a final against Nadal in, on his court and I, I felt like the whole support obviously was on his side, which makes absolute sense. Uh, but, you know, he could have saved the jump at the pool if he was a little bit more nice with me. Uh, but uh, obviously he's uh, such a selfish uh, type of guy that uh, he wouldn't let that happen. <laughs> uh, what did you learn from that? Is there anything that you learned from playing Rafa on a big stage at that stage of your career? At the first time I played him, honestly, I just wasn't ready. Mm. It's just like I didn't pick it up yet. So that, that second time was, I think, the most memorable one in terms of uh, the intensity that I brought into the court and the experience that I had from previous encounters. He brought the best out of me that day and I was so close and it was so disappointing to finish uh, that match with a loss because I felt like I was really close to capturing that match. In fact, I had a match point and, uh, and uh, one of his shots clipped the net and it passed the net on my match point. And the rally continued from there and it was something shocking for me because I was already getting ready to, to feel that emotion. Uh, but it didn't happen and it's, it's okay, it's okay, that's sport, you know, yeah. you shouldn't celebrate too early. That's what I realized. <laughs> did you watch the Monte Carlo final? I did watch it a little bit. I watched the highlights. I was not there. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a little bit of, I did something that I'm not used to do after a loss, which is go the next day and watch live the match uh, with a good friend of mine. So that was really fun. Why did you do that? Why did you go and watch the tennis? Well, Nick messaged me and said, let's go watch the tennis. And I said, look, I would never really do that. But why not? Why not try something new? So I said, I'm in, let's go. Did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. And I learned a lot that day. So it's uh, very different watching it from spectator's uh, angle yeah. and not uh, living it as a player. I don't get to watch a lot of matches like this. And it was refreshing, rejuvenating, I can say. Um, getting an angle and not being judgmental or not being uh, not watching it as a tennis player watching it as a fan yeah. it was a very rejuvenating experience and what did you think what did you make of Rublev's win in Monte Carlos look I think he's someone that deserves the win I think he's someone that uh, has sort of fallen under the radar for what he can do um, he has big weapons as a player and I had I've made a mistake in the past and I said silly things after uh, a loss that I had recently against him. Uh, my mind was completely in another planet. So I definitely believe he's a very strong opponent and he can play against anyone. Uh, and the good thing with Rublev, he can play on all surfaces, you know. He's strong everywhere. He uh, has improved a lot in his consistency. It's one of the few times that I saw him live on that match the other day where I saw him drop shoot, so he has improved a lot in terms of his drop shoot, even coming to the net. And um, that is good to see because, you know, he keeps getting better, he keeps pushing us as well to get better too. Tsitsipas certain to be in more finals, and he is right. Andrei Rublev does keep getting better and better, although this week the champion of Monte Carlo came up just short, losing to Dusan Lajevic in the final in Bosnia and Herzegovina, where Novak Djokovic bowed out early against his countryman Lajevic before 
Big news, withdrawing from the upcoming Mutua Madrid Open with injury. The world number one out of Madrid. And we wish him a speedy recovery. It wasn't only players with cause for cheer in Barcelona this year as the tournament celebrated its 70th birthday. See if you can pick out some of the voices there to mark the occasion. 70 years Barcelona. History, legacy, legends. A place like no other. Many players are coming here, the best players in the world, and uh, I think that makes the, the tournament very special. I was dreaming about, you know, one day maybe I could play, you know, this tournament. This is a great tournament. I mean, this tournament has been uh, part of, you know, Spanish tennis forever. For, for me as a tennis player, I've always um, have the, you know, the idea I've always had in mind to eventually play here one, one day. It's uh, amazing that uh, this year is going to be the 70th anniversary and uh, it's a tournament that uh, everyone wants to play here in, in Barcelona. The city is very important, the Real Tennis Club Barcelona as well is uh, different to to other tennis clubs. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I came here with my, my parents uh, to watch uh, my idols, uh, tennis players, and, and I had the opportunity to, to play this tournament as a pro player, and now uh, I am a tournament director. So for me, it's a very special tournament. Some of the greatest have won this title. A lot of traditions here, with so much commitment and love. Barcelona, 70 years, and of course, Rafa. They have all the winners and the pictures of the winners, and that's something that is fun for and motivating for players to see and think like, I want to be a part of that list. It's always nice to see that and be a little bit extra motivated for the tournament and having your name on the wall one day. It just shows that um, it has a lot of tradition and it's fun for us players to be a place where it sort of feels like a tennis club more than just like an arena or a, or a place that's just built up for the tournament. It's always nice to be back to a place that looks like a club. And of course, the pool. <laughs> I think that's a really cool tradition. It'd probably be me and my physio pushing my coach in first, and then, and then uh, us jumping in after. But. I can't convince my dad to come jump with me. I think he will do it, out of respect. Barcelona, 70 years. The new generation. It's really special to you come here to Barcelona again, my home country, you know, it's, it's really special to play a tournament here and of course I spent a lot of time here in, in Barcelona in this club. I, I was playing uh, under 12, under 14 with, uh, uh, with this club and uh, yeah, I have a, a great memories uh, from, from here. Al Carlos Alcaraz! Carlos Alcaraz there and before him, 
Francis Tiafo, Ben Shelton, Kasper Ruud, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Feliciano Lopez, Yannick Sinner, and tournament director, of course, David Ferrer, all reflecting on what makes this Barcelona tournament so unique, including, of course, the now famous tradition of the winner taking to the pool at the end, along with the ball kids. One player synonymous with that particular celebration and unfortunately not in Barcelona this year was the 12-time champion Rafael Nadal, who posted this week on social media that recovery from a hip injury is taking longer than expected. Nevertheless, according to fellow Spaniard Tommy Robredo, playing in his final event in Barcelona, Nadal's presence was still felt as keenly as ever. Well, it's his club also, so maybe the people, they don't know, but Rafa, the license of, of his uh, membership of the tennis is from this club, so obviously he had been winning here 12 years, but uh, he has been winning everywhere on clay, especially, you know, but I know it's, it's special that um, we felt that Rafa is part of the club, it's part of the city, and that makes it special as well. Another player taking part in his final Barcelona Open was Feliciano Lopez as he continues his farewell tour. I came to Barcelona when I was very young. Uh, I used to come here to train with the pros because they were, they were calling the federation, you know, asking for some young players that they need to, to play with. And I used to come here and I was dreaming about, you know, one day maybe I could play, you know, this tournament. And then uh, it, it is very nice to come back, you know, 20 years or 22 years after my, my first time here and to be able to play one more time. And what does that mean to you to have the chance to say goodbye to the local crowd here? It's great. I mean, I think it's a great opportunity, you know, that, that's been given to me to, to play here one more time. As I said before, this, this, this club, I'm, I'm still a member of this club. Uh, I started dreaming about, you know, being a professional tennis player here when I, when I, when I arrived, you know, in, in Barcelona. I was 14 years old when I, when I first came here and uh, I think it's a very nice story you know, that I started you know, here my career, I started dreaming about being a pro and then uh, this is going to be one of my last tournaments, uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a very nice story I think. And I looked at your record, you almost never missed this tournament. <laughs> yeah, I've played uh, a decent number of times uh, the tournament. Uh, yeah, I played my first time here when I was 16 years old, that I, I qualified, I still remember this match, when uh, Giri Novak he kicked my ass, uh, one, and, one and one, one and two, but uh, I still have, uh, even though I lost and he kicked my ass, I have a great you know, memories from that match because it was like a dream come true for me to qualify, you know, and to, to, to win two matches here at uh, such a young age. It was, a, it was a great, you know, inspiration for me to continue training and to continue dreaming. Do you feel like you, you still have what it takes to compete in these tournaments one last time? Well, this is going to be my first tournament on clay uh, since uh, almost a year. I think my last one was here last year in Barcelona and uh, I've been training and very good I think to be ready to compete because 
since I planned, you know, my, my retirement, like a few months ago last year, when I decided that this is going to be my last year, I said I decided to play a few tournaments just to, you know, to, to finish my career. So since I made that decision, I started to train because I wanted to be competitive and I, I don't want to, I don't want to play tennis, you know, without that feeling of, you know, at least being, you know, competitive. I don't want to go on the court with that feeling, you know, inside that you don't, that you're not going to be able to perform the way you want to, to do it. So I've been training properly. I've been, you know, also playing. I played Acapulco which was my first tournament of this, uh, of this year and, and, I, and I'm very happy with my performance there. I won a round, I lost to Tiafo, but I played a very decent tennis. So this is another surface, a completely different story, but I hope to be at least competitive and to, and to enjoy the moment. No? But uh, this was a very important thing for me to be competitive. You know? I, I didn't want to play three, four, five, uh, you know, tournaments without being competitive at all. Mm -hmm. What will you miss most about the tennis tour? The competition. This is definitely the thing that I think I'm going to miss uh, a lot because this is, uh, this is what you train for, this is what you live for, this, you do everything uh, and you sacrifice, you know, a lot of things in order to compete. And, and the, just the adrenaline, the, 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 the moments that you live before the competition, the excitement, the, the atmosphere that you uh, eventually uh, live on any court that you play. This is what I think I'm going to miss more. I, I'm already missing this a lot because I haven't been you know, playing uh, a lot in the last year and a half. Yeah, but this is probably the thing that I'm going to miss more. Of course, some friends, a lot of things that I will leave, you know. When I'm, when I'm done with tennis, but uh, yeah, definitely the competition is something that I think I'm going to miss a lot. And you got this one record over Roger Federer, you played longer than him. <laughs> well, no, I didn't play. I don't think I'm play, I played longer, uh, but I played uh, more consecutive slams, which is a nice record, but um, I will tell my kid one day that I was better than Roger Federer, at least one thing. <laughs> Feli Lopez with Ursin Caderas, and he will no doubt look to extend that Grand Slam record this year, but not before taking up his tournament director duties this week in Madrid. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. The life of a tennis player can bring rich rewards, but it can also take its toll. To that end, the ATP Tour recently appointed former Tennis Australia psychologist Dr Ruth Anderson to the role of Director of Player Wellbeing and Care. Her remit is to help the players thrive off the court as well as on it, as she explained to Jill Krabus. Mental health affects one in four people in the general population. We all experience one mental in four. health. One in four is the statistics wow, across most I did countries. Not know that. that in their lifetime they'll experience a mental health disorder. 
experiencing mental health symptoms is an everyday experience for all of us. Mm. So it's a common experience. So athletes aren't immune to that um, and certainly need to manage that. Um, And then on top of that, of course, there's the increasing recognition around your psychological ability being just as important as your physical, technical and tactical ability to work on. So athletes have been doing that for a long period of time, um, just in varying ways. But I think at the moment there's increasing recognition around it being a specialist area Mm. and something that people have to work on over time. There's no quick fix and, you know, there's no instant solution to be able to change how you think and how you experience emotion. And so it's really important that players learn what works for them individually um, and then commit to working on the strategies over time so they hold up under pressure. Right. I I understand it's a very individual thing to approach whoever you're working with each client is is separate is that do you feel like as a whole group wise there's a difference how you approach someone who's a non-athlete compared to someone who who is an athlete um i think the overall the overall task is the same uh, but how you apply the strategies and what you introduce to a player to enhance their psychological Mm. ability is different because the environment that they're functioning and performing in is quite a unique environment particularly in tennis because it's a lifestyle as well as Mm. you know the need to perform on the court on the day during a match Um, and the process generally is around really exploring with an individual whether they're athlete or not um, their own self-awareness of how what their psychological functioning is is and how that might shift or change when you're under pressure or stress. So understanding what you're thinking, how you experience emotion, um, what your behaviour might be telling you, because that gives you a good sign too of how you might be coping or managing the environment. And then equipping individuals with a range of psychological strategies that will help to enhance the areas that are specific to the individual and also specific to what they're wanting to achieve Mm -hmm. for athletes on the court. Well, you said way too much there. (laughs) I kind of want to pick that apart a little bit. Um, First of all, how do you feel like tennis is so different from other sports? I think for tennis... it's, it's a long game in that you have to perform, obviously, on the day and find your optimal psychological state in the moment to be able to, um, you know, uh, make the right decisions in the moments that matter under pressure and to be able to execute skills under that pressure. But then you've got to back it up, obviously, from match to match through a tournament and then tournament to tournament throughout the whole year. And so it's quite relentless. And unless you've got good strategies to be able to manage both on the court and also your psychological state off the court so that you can sustain your performance across the whole year um, but also just manage your general mental health and well-being off the court. Mm. So um, I do a lot of work on psychological recovery, um, both how to recover, uh, deal with a match, switch off and sleep in between matches and then also obviously then tournament to tournament and how you may maintain perspective throughout that time because tennis is a sport you might lose every week or two weeks but still actually be improving and so it's really important to balance perspective with what your emotional state is or your response to those losses yeah I think talking about on court the stress in particular because that's something that I feel like that's where a lot of players can excel is they're able to handle that stress so well in certain situations I mean, I know it's very individual, but there are there certain go-to protocols that you would say this is works really well to help calm that person. Or I mean, I understand it's very individual, but any certain strategies you are your go-to. 
Yes, so certainly on the court, being able to uh, recognise what the early warning signs are of when you either might be, like, not when you're not in the right state for you to be able to perform or when you're noticing particularly around performance anxiety the warning signs that are quite individual or unique to the individual when they're starting to increase because it's much easier to be able to reset or regulate your psychological state earlier than if it builds up over time you can still do it or not so definitely it's really important for players to have a really heightened awareness of what those early warning signs are and, and it's different for everybody right? different for everyone what some would people, be some of the so examples? some people will it will be their thought processes they'll be overthinking they'll be too internal in their thought um, they'll start thinking too far ahead um, oh, Obviously, you know, the scoreline or the potential consequences of the scoreline and all those thoughts really just come in automatically, but overthinking is probably the most common. Um, And then some experience a heightened physiological state, so muscle tension, muscle tension particularly in the legs, um, uh, difficulty breathing because your heart rate increases when you're under stress, or some will experience a mixture of both. So how you have a quick reset so that you you can quickly change when you need to in between points or prior to an important point and then you can use other opportunities on the court to be able to be proactive in directing your focus and attention and regulating that emotional state. The, the, The real key is though is particularly around performance anxiety when you're under stress is around accepting it because it's very well researched that a level of anxiety really facilitates performance but it's really uncomfortable to tolerate and we all assume that any sort of negative thought or difficult emotion is bad because it it feels yes I've been there yes yes it's hard to get to that acceptance level that's right and the more that you can perform while anxious Um, and execute well under that stress over time you develop a tolerance so that you can start to go into situations of higher and higher pressure and still feel anxious but feel in control of that state and be able to execute your skills when it matters so I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little specific so I'll give you like a scenario so if what you're saying right now if you get anxious and the player becomes aware of everything that's happening and the outcome doesn't go the way, which yeah. can create more anxiety. Yes. Yep. That recovery was important that you're talking about. Yep. How do you go from there to get that particular person in a good state for the next time? For the next match? Yeah, or, yeah. or for the next yeah time that maybe that anxiety comes up again. Yeah, so, you know, those, those sorts of experiences actually become your greatest competitive advantage because you don't actually know how you're going to respond to pressure until it happens to you. And like you said, sometimes it won't work out. Even if you go in well prepared, if it's your first time, you might not be able to execute. But actually, you can really use the learnings. You, you, so what you want to do is make sure that because it's uncomfortable or difficult, sometimes players avoid thinking about it um, or feel like it's negative to be thinking about it and be stoic. You know, oh, it'll be right. I'll push through. I can do it. Um, but actually, it doesn't resolve the issue. You've got to take some action on it. So what you want to do is really use that experience, break it down, really understand what happened to your thought process. What were you thinking? How were you responding in the moment? What sort of physiological effect did it have on you? Because that directly informs how you manage it leading mm-hmm. in. And so you set up, um, there's probably probably two levels. You set up some proactive strategies. So when you're going on court, your mindset and your focus and attention is directed. Like what? It. What do you mean by proactive? Uh, so you're 
proactive meaning that you've got strategies when you go on court that your mind's focused on execution Uh, you've got a nice clear mind um, so that you can get in a nice instinctive state to be able to make good decisions and just automatically execute your skills without your psychological processes Mm. interfering with that Um, and so you direct it in the right way and then your learning from those difficult experiences gives you the information to know what to watch out for. Mm. So if you notice your mind start to race or your thoughts start drift off, to drift off or your heart rate's increasing, they're just like cues that tell you I need to reset and I need to take a minute in between points um, to be able to reset my state. So just like you would physically, it's the same psychologically and then have a quick strategy to be able to deal with your thoughts and reset your mind back on focus or execution which is different for Mm. every player Um, and then using some very quick practical strategies like abdominal breathing Uh, it's talked about a lot but actually not executed well Um, so you have to do it in the right way where you're doing the abdominal breathing okay uh, because what you're doing there when you're pushing your belly out is you're expanding your lungs and your heart rate's that that's what has the direct impact on lowering your heart rate and then like for your mind if you're focused only on your breathing it's stopping the overthinking mm. and it's redirecting your focus in the current moment and on task and then your mind will be clear ready to give yourself the next execution but what can happen with breathing in general is it becomes just a bit um automatized people go do a few quick breaths they're still thinking about what's going on and it doesn't have any impact but breathing is a really good way to just regulate the nerves. You never, it's never going to relax you mm. so much on court because there's the, the good pressure created by the environment. But it is a really great way to regain control of your physiological state and have like an acute impact, an impact that's immediate. But it's also a really powerful way to be able to clear your mind as well. So abdominal breathing, would there be a certain tempo too? Because I've read a lot about yeah. counting to five seconds or six seconds whatever and then counting down yeah nose, maybe breathing through the nose rather than the mouth do you, are yeah. there certain protocols yeah, you there's, recommend well there's very different protocols for different individuals so i probably would say if someone's doing something and it is reducing their heart rate clearing their mind to keep with what works for them okay. individually but generally it's a count of three um, people can do it longer but you want to make sure it's at least a count per second so it's nice and rhythmic and slow and then you can choose to hold the breath for one or two counts but it really depends on how activated you are because if you've just gone through a really long point and your heart rate's sky high you're just aiming to be able to mm. regulate it you don't mm. want to hold your breath and actually start feeling like you're going to pass yeah. out so it's really about yeah count per second um, and you can hold it um, and then uh, breathing out again and then the specific technique around that's really individual Mm. but your key goal is to make sure it's reducing your heart rate Um, and so you've got to do the abdominal breathing not the shallow breathing or chest breathing and um, the other key thing is you always want to make sure your mind's focused on the breathing because that's what redirects your mind from overthinking thinking too far ahead or being too internal you don't want to be thinking about what you're thinking about too much because (laughs) Then that thinking creates about, more thinking anxiety. About what you're thinking about <laughs> yeah, and so what happens is when we get anxious. Oh no, I'm really anxious. Oh no, I'm feeling really tight. So your mind's internal, and then you're not thinking or processing what you need to do on the court. So yeah, how you actually manage your thoughts while you breathe actually has very powerful impact. But yeah. A lot of people um, kind of miss that point when yeah. you're doing the breathing. And you can hear all of Jill's chat with Dr. Ruth Anderson, including advice on meditation, yoga, and journaling 
on the ATP podcast channel. Only last year, America's Francis Tierfo teamed up with Venus Williams in an attempt to draw more awareness to the subject of mental health. And maybe that work unlocked something in his game. On the court since, TFO has reached a career-high 11th in the world, claimed a first title in five years and a first on clay recently amid lots of rain in Houston. It was crazy because once you've seen the weather forecast, once uh, I think we were trying to play Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you've seen the forecast, you're like, damn, man, if you're going to get this done, it's going to have to be two days. Luckily, I had to buy, so you know I knew I could play. Two matches, two matches. I'm talking to the tournament director. I'm like, man, I got Monte Carlo next week. Am I staying? Call, call my agent, call my, my coaches. Like, am I, am I really doing this? So should I just go to the thousand? Like, what's the best thing to do? Call my business dudes. I'm like, man, I don't know. Uh, but I stayed in an unbelievable house. I was, I was super relaxed. And I was like, there's no guarantees, man, because I'm jet lagged as hell right now. It's if I had to go to go to Monte Carlo and figure that out. But so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And um, yeah, once. Once I got done, it was an unbelievable feeling. I haven't won title in five years, and uh, since I was so young, um, unbelievable to do it again in American soil. And you know, it felt just good to finish a week off as a champion. I mean, I had a lot of. I feel like people uh, don't realize, but I have a lot of finals these last, you know, in between those, and just couldn't get it done. Um, five hundreds and stuff like that. And, um, that would have been cool titles, and um, just couldn't get it done. And uh, to be able to just get it done, it felt really good. Yeah. Champagne right away, and. Uh, <laughs> I used to with Stella, so I had to put some Stella in those videos. And but yeah, it was a uh, it, it was a great a great time for me. Sounds wild. It was wild, man. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely wild for sure. <laughs> um, did it feel like breaking through a wall to yeah. finally get it done? Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially where I'm going at right now, right? Like it felt it was a little a little frustrating, um, even though I was doing so well. You know, like I was, I guess I was 15 at the time during the tournament. Now I'm 11 or whatever, 12. And, um, we felt knowing I was up there and only one title, you know, didn't really feel like it wasn't really showing how well I've been playing. Um, I'm doing well in big events because you're not winning them. And, um, and I think like winning a tournament like that will help, you know, when I'm kind of getting these final, last stages of tournaments, tournaments like these that I've, you know, finished a job and I know what that feels like. Because um, you could see at the end of that final, I didn't get broken all week and I blinked a little bit there at the end with some easy shots that I've, you wouldn't usually miss, but you're, you're nervous, you know, you haven't done that in a while. And so um, it, was, it was good to get through that, especially in straight sets. Were you surprised that that title came on clay? The first title after five years? No, I mean, I mean, finals, Esther, as a statement with Casper, I mean, finals, Esther, twice, 18 and 22. And, um, you know, I played well on clay. I mean, it seems like uh, I can see you play well in more consecutive weeks. It seems like I can go deep and then have like a bad stretch after a while. So, I mean, if I can just keep that momentum, like I play on a hard court or play on grass, but we'll see how this goes. So you're also getting closer to the top 10. Is that on your radar, Matt? For sure, right? I mean, why not get in the top 10? If you're, if you're 11 or something, you might as well. Um, but um, it's not an end-all duel. Um, obviously, it's something I really want to do, um, but it's not the end-all duel. I mean, obviously, you know, I have my sights for big stuff this year and what I want to do, but um, I just want to keep winning and keep winning matches and um, keep, in my, keep putting myself in position to do spe some special things. So is it Francis Tiafo 2.0 this year? For sure, for sure, yeah. Um, just carrying on momentum that I had in last year and, uh, and just, just keep having fun out there. Yeah. 
Did you take some advice from LeBron James? <laughs> it, it was it was funny though, cause I actually said, I actually said in the press, like, um, like cause that, that time where I said that in any Wells, it was actually Steph and Draymond. But I was like, I was telling my friends, it's like it's kind of cool to say Steph and LeBron. Obviously, I've gotten like some bronzes, some cool stuff to me um, as far as just like you know, keep going, keep believing, and your cliche stuff, but it means so much more coming from them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that evening I, I, I was I was speaking to Steph with Steph and Draymond and. It was, it's just cool for like those guys, upper echelon guys, to um, you know see me and just want the best for me. And um, yeah, I mean those guys are just pretty much telling me that you know that there's not many people in this world that you know have a chance to do something special as like one percenter type guys. And uh, when you have that gift, that talent, you know God-given gift, however you want to call it, um, it's not something to really play around with. Because uh, a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys who have it, and um, yeah, there's not many guys who have it and actually, you know break barriers and, and do that. And it's kind of like, who you who you going to be? And, and and it makes you scratch your head a little bit, right? You're like, well, damn, like, who am I going to be? <laughs> like, you know, and, and um, yeah, and I'm just, I'm just in that curiosity stage of seeing how far I can go and um, just really dedicating myself to the game. What's it like to stand next to LeBron James? It's, it's crazy every time. It, it, it was funny. I was wearing a, a like you saw on Instagram, I was wearing a black tech, a Nike tech and whatever. He comes out and, you know, Good to see you, my boy. What are you doing here in Houston? And we're just kind of just rapping a little bit. And um, as we're talking, and I've met him like sometimes now, but we finish talking, get the pick at the end, and I'm like damp as hell. Like you can tell, I'm so nervous. Like, and, we, and it's not like it's our first time meeting. Like we've talked and stuff, but like he's like that guy for me. You know, everyone has that that guy, and no matter how many times I see him, it'll never be like normality for me. Like, cause I get in the car, I was just like, yo, I was talking to Braun. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, you know what I mean? And and like little things like that is part of the reason why I even won the tournament. He's like, I really want to be there. I'm all ecstatic. I'm just like, I saw Bron. I feel good, you know. So I believe in all that kind of stuff. So he called you, hey, my boy, and you called him what? Did you call him me, my boy? Bron, well? like you just Bron. Call him yeah, my... Bron, like you, the man, and he was. And it's we just surreal, just, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. We just rapping, and um, he's like, you know, I'm always following, and just keep going, and um, yeah. He so. he follows your matches. He's always following. He's yeah. a tennis, yeah, not tennis. He's a sports fanatic. Like he's following every sport, and um, especially the bigger events, he's tuning in. And um, yeah, he's very aware of what's going on. Not a bad supporter to have in your corner. Finally, this week, another American. And if TFO is eyeing up the top ten, the first man he will meet in his sights is Taylor Fritz, currently right there at tenth in the Pepperstone ATP rankings. After a title in Delray Beach and already a number of runs deep into tournaments this year, including this week in Munich, where he reached the semi-finals before losing to Botic van der Zandschulp. Richard Connolly caught up with the 25-year-old and started by asking if he's adjusted to the clay. I feel like I've never really hated being on, on red clay, green clay, can't stand it. But um, no, red clay, I've always... I've always liked it, maybe not my best surface, but I, don't know, I feel like I've had some good results on it and I don't know, I'm excited to be back. What was that good feeling or that better feeling for the red clay compared to the green clay based upon? Was it the way it felt under your shoes or was it the ball? How? It was the, the movement for sure. I felt like on, on green clay, I just couldn't move at all. It's like extra slippery. It's super awkward. I feel like on red clay, I felt way more controlled like sliding in the ball and just and just playing felt much more like uh 
I guess, like, under control. It didn't feel so, like, awkward to be on. When you first come over to Europe and you, and you see the, the familiarity with which so many players have with the surface, is, is, is that a shock? Do you realise how great a specialism this can be for so many guys? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think, you know, no matter how good I feel in clay or uh, feel like I'm getting adjusted to red clay, for a lot of people it's just it's what they grew up on and, like, I'll never feel as as good on it as as they do but i just have to i guess make up for try to make up for it by just playing playing even better have there been moments where you felt matches where you felt yeah this is this is a significant step in the right direction or maybe conversations that you've had with your coaches where you thought yeah that's that's something that really makes a difference yeah for sure i think there's definitely certain shots certain things that I, I need to have in my game that are going for me especially on clay that help me and there's definitely matches i play where like this feels I don't know, this feels correct, this feels how I'm playing, uh, how I'm supposed to play on clay, I feel very comfortable in this match. Heavy, heavy forehand cross, uh, sliding into my forehand and being able to play it deep, getting my backhand cross court deep when I'm kind of on the run to it, stuff like that. A lot of it's a lot of like, I guess, defensive shots that I'm playing higher, heavier, deeper than, than normal, I guess. That element of, of defense and that element of, of, of making a match tough and keeping it long. What about the tactical side on, on clay? How do you feel that's different? How much do you do you relish that? It's it's a lot different. I don't I guess that's what I don't love about it because um, I have to kind of readjust my thinking in a lot of situations. You know, you don't always uh, you don't get the same reward for taking certain risks. So you need to I guess be a little bit more patient and, and watch it. Sometimes I can hurt myself by trying to step in and be aggressive because I'm giving up core position to do that um, and I'm not getting a winner off of it so I do have to I guess pick and choose my times to be aggressive. What do you think you're capable of this year on the clay? I'm not sure we'll see I'm playing a really full schedule so you know I'm excited for that I missed pretty much the whole clay court season last year and uh, yeah we'll see I don't know. Taylor Fritz now consistently right up there and he'll be looking to put in a big shift over the next six to eight weeks on clay with two Masters, first in Madrid and then in Rome before the second Grand Slam of the year, of course, at Roland Garros. That is it for this time. Catch us again next week when I'll be in Madrid at the midway stage there. In the meantime, check out Tennis TV for live action, the ATP WTA Live app for scores and draws and atptour.com for much, much more. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.